0: We're just going right down the middle this morning with traditional Christmas readings, Isaiah 9, Hebrews 1, and John 1. I'll reference all three passages, but the sermon will primarily be from John uh, chapter 1. So from Isaiah 9, starting there on page 4 of your bulletin. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you, according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. Even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And from Hebrews 1 God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, And upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son." But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, "...has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak you will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail." And then from John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Some call this passage from John's Gospel the most significant short piece of writing in the history of the world. That's quite a lofty praise, isn't it? It almost makes it sound like if you could only have one passage in your Bible that you should choose this one. Now, the first verse alone, it stands out to any who has spent any extended amount of time in the Christian church. I bet as I began to read it, you probably said it in your own mind. The beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I'm certain it reminds you of the creation account, and it ought to do so. For John is trying to draw your mind there. He's using some of the same words. Both start with in the beginning. Genesis 1-1 and John 1-1 have that parallel. But John does not begin his explanation of the beginning to tell us of anything that happened. Not immediately. He moves into that. He simply tells us of someone who was. Someone who was or someone who exists. This speaks of existence. Children, you exist. You are in the present tense. Was, hopefully Miss Cindy don't mark me off here and hopefully I get this right. Was is a verb. It's a verb form to communicate the past tense of to be, of existence. It was the case, but it also is the case. John tells us by the working of the Spirit through his pen that the Word was. Now think on this for just a moment. Sorry for those of you who are in adult Sunday school, your brain's already a bit tired. Maybe you've got a little more gas in the tank. In the beginning was the Word, the first phrase. This means, very simply, as I said, that the Word existed. The Word was alive, you might say. The Word was present. Now, beginning does not mean from the first of time, though He was there as well. It's a Bible way of saying before time. Before all things, the Word was. You might think of it like this. Before anyone... Or before anything, the word was. That says nothing of his beginning, for he has no beginning. The word was also with God, that we're, uh, we're told. Children, you could say that the word is as old as God. He was present with God. Indeed, whatever you might say of God, you can say of the word because he was with God. In some sense, he is other than God because he's distinguished from God, but not so fast. Don't let your mind stretch too far that way because we're also told that the word was God. This is more than saying the word is equal to God. This is saying the word was or is God. So in some sense, the word is other than God. But in another sense, he is God. Children, you uh, think about this complex doctrine when you hear questions from the catechism like this. How many persons are there in the Godhead? Well, there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. These are three straightforward, yet not simple at all points that John gives us in verse 1 of his gospel. The Word has always been, the Word has always been with God, and the Word is God. Who is the Word, you might ask? The Word, we're told in verse 14, is the one who was made flesh. We know who that is, right? The Lord Jesus Christ whose birth we celebrate, whose redemption we trust in, whose glory we live for. This passage tells you who the word is. You don't have to wonder. Now let's shift for just a moment. There are some places in this text that you can shuffle the words around a bit to bring more light to what John is saying. One of those is in this verse, the verse that reads, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, let me read it to you a different way. In the word was life, and the word was the light of men. That hits a bit differently, doesn't it? But we could stretch it even further. In the word is life. And the word is the light of men. Let's do it with the next verse as well. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. What's the alternative? The word shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend the word. Now that's really something, isn't it? Substituting the word for the light is quite Illuminate. Comprehend here does not mean understand. Parents, you wish your children would comprehend more things that you said, right? But that's not what's being stated here. It means to grasp, to surround, or even to use more of an image because it's being contrasted with light could mean to snuff out. That last suggestion is a bit of a paraphrase, but if darkness could comprehend light, if darkness could surround and grasp the light, what would it do? It would snuff it out. We're certain that that's what it would want to do. And why do I take you through this exercise of replacing words and moving them around? Because I want us to spend this Christmas Eve morning thinking on the word as light. And when I say the word, I don't mean the Bible, though it's true. The Bible is a light. But I'm speaking of the one who was made flesh as light. The same John who wrote this gospel also wrote those three epistles at the end of your Bible. He also wrote the book of Revelation. But in the first chapter of that first epistle, he says this, God is light. And that brings us full circle, doesn't it? The Word is God. The Word is light. God is light. So when the Word shines in the darkness, He shines as the God light. He is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Darkness might try and surround Him, darkness may try to overcome Him, but it is impossible. What a great thing to know this Christmas, this end of year, as we prepare for another year, that the one who was made flesh and dwelt among us cannot be grasped or overcome or comprehended by the darkness. You see, we know this not only theologically. We know this, we might say, scientifically. It is impossible in some sense for light to be overcome by darkness, isn't it? No matter how dark, if you turn a light on, the light shines. Now, it may have nothing to bounce off of, but the light is still on and cannot be closed in by the darkness. You may use the object to put out that light, but you're not using darkness. You're using something else. This word who shines in the darkness, the darkest darkness, has become Flesh. The Word who was and is life has become flesh. The light of men has become flesh. When you think of things as the Bible states them, as we try to do here, the reason that evil responds to the preaching of the Scriptures the way it does becomes obvious. The reason that so many hate Christmas becomes obvious. And yet the reason that so many, even non-Christians, show some type of joy in Christmas is because Christmas is about the birth of the light of men without distinction. The Christ who was born on Christmas Day is the light of men. Aren't Christmas lights an appropriate thing to do as a response to this truth about our God? They are a small thing, but an appropriate one nonetheless. And when you think of Christ as the light of the world, when you think of God as light, what comes to mind? Maybe the fact that He guides your path. Now I want you to do here in Psalm 119, 105, what I did with moving the words around or the concepts around in John 1. Thy word is a lamp. Unto my feet and a light unto my path. We know that's talking about the Bible in a simple sense. But if the word is light, then it's also true of Him. Maybe the fact that He as light reveals your sin. You think of that. 1 John 1 6. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not walk in the truth. Maybe you think of the fact that he gives nothing but good and he does not change as James 5:17 says, every good gift and every <clears throat> excuse me, every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the father of lights with whom is no variableness neither shadow of turning. Maybe you think on God's holiness. As Paul describes in 1 Timothy six, sixteen, he describes him as dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto. Or maybe it's the joy of walking in the light that comes to mind. 1 John 1, 7. You see, John thought a lot about light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us. From all sin. You see, Christians do not fear that God is light. They celebrate it. When the Word was made flesh that day in Bethlehem, a great light shone from the manger. It may have been a light that could not be seen with the eye, but it was a light, nonetheless, a light that would grow in ever-increasing brightness. The men from the east would follow a light that would bring them to that great light. Now, you know, when you read the word on your own or when we read it in church, isn't light a description of what happens to you? It is the Bible doing this, but the Bible is a means Unto the Word made flesh. He is the one shining the light through the Word. For better or for worse, you're being placed under the light of God. The Word, capital W, shines through the Word, lowercase w, so that you might see who you really are and then see who He really is. Those who hate the Lord... This is one of the chief things that they despise about him. They may not have the words to describe it, but they despise the fact that he is light. They hear that the government is upon his shoulders. It's too much light. It's too clear. I must push it away and continue in darkness. They hear that he is wonderful and a counselor. It's too much light. My eyes can't take it. I don't want to know his way. I'll follow my own children. You could actually think of someone who hates the Lord, who reads the Bible and doesn't believe it as covering their eyes from the brightness of the light when the word is read to them. Some even come to grasp intellectually that the light shines forth as the mighty God. There are People who have walked away from the faith are people who are willing to say, though they be non-Christians, that Jesus is God, whatever that means. But they can't have the truth of it, for the light begins to shine brightly. They'll have none to rule over them. So they cope by denying he exists at all, as if that gets rid of him. If I say it enough, it'll become true. You see, that the light shines forth as an everlasting father in a world that hates fatherhood, authority, and strength. You can imagine what that produces in the unbeliever. And you can understand why our world, and sadly part of the church, is the way that it is. There's too much light that comes with fatherhood, especially the fatherhood Of the God who is light. The radiant glory of God shines its light through the reign of the Prince of Peace. No thank you, they say. I prefer the reign of princesses, darkness, and chaos. On and on we can go. And will you consider that the one who was made flesh is God? And that God is light. It makes all the sense in the world that angels would worship him even at his birth. I hope you heard that in Hebrews 1 when it was read. Let all the angels of God worship him. You see, they were used to the light of heaven. For God is light. Then they see this light on earth who is God and they are drawn to it. They cannot but worship him. One of the most needful things for Christians, one of the most needful things for myself, is to remember the glory of what happens in the worship of God. When you worship the Lord, when you remember the birth of Christ rightly, you join the angels. The angels do not receive worship. The one whom the angels worships, receives worship. We join them even today, even this morning. Not only are the angels directed towards him, but so is the Father in a sense. As Isaiah 9 says, that God's zeal ensures that the government and peace of Christ shall know no ends. The message of Christmas is one of the greatest jewels of Christianity, is one of the several things that makes up Christianity. Without the incarnation of the word, we have nothing to say. The whole thing would fall apart. There is light at Christmas because God is light and on Christmas God was born. In a sense, we might say light was born. And as we come to the Lord's table, know that you come to a bright spot of God's Light. In the old temple, there was a light over the bread. Now the bread is the light, for the bread is the body of the one who was made flesh and dwelt among us. I charge you to receive today in faith and in hope and in love the one who not only died for you, but was born for you. See, the truth is that every man who comes into the world is illumined, lit up by the one who is the true light. But only the church of the Lord Jesus Christ loves the light. They wish for it to become brighter and brighter upon them. They wish for it to become brighter and brighter in them. The love of Christ for his people is so great that he even shares this title with them. In one place, as you know, in John's gospel, he says, I am the light of the world. But in another place, in Matthew's gospel, he says, you are the light of the world. You, dear church, are the light of the world because the one who is light lives in you. Receive him today. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God.